everybody, and welcome back to Goodversations, a collection of honest conversations with inspirational voices in the theater industry. My name is Alexandra, and I'm so thrilled to be joined by Megan Hilty. This conversation was really special to me, and you'll hear exactly why that is at the beginning of the episode. Besides that, Megan and I talked about a whole range of things, from making her Broadway debut in Wicked in 2004, to how her views on the industry have changed since then. And of course, we did touch upon her iconic role in Smash. You can find Megan on Instagram at Megan Hilty and check out Goodversations for more episodes of this show. Here's my conversation with the incredible Megan Hilty. Megan Hilty, welcome to the podcast. I'd love to start with a quick story, if that's okay with you. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so when I was about 14, I discovered musical theater, and I suppose Broadway as such, because growing up in Latvia, we have an amazing theater scene, but we don't necessarily have musical theater. So I remember one day just Googling Broadway or what is Broadway or something like that, which I had heard about, you know, in movies and like TV shows and stuff, but I didn't really know anything about it. And the first thing that came up was Aaron Tveit singing Along the Way by Pasek and Paul, which kind of piqued my interest. I thought, you know, this sounds really great. And then the second thing that came up was you singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I've basically been a massive fan ever since. And then fast forward to 2018 is when I saw you in concert in London. Oh, you came to that. Oh, that's great. Oh, for sure. Um, It was everything I thought it would be. So that is why I'm just so thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I've just got to say 2020 has been a hell of a year for, you know, lack of a better term. So how are you doing? Like, how is this all feeling for you? Um, uh, we're ultimately we're okay. I mean, we, my little family is healthy and, um, and we're able to pay the bills at the moment, you know, um, the longer this goes on, the harder it is, of course, since most of our income comes from, uh, live performances and that's not going to happen for a while. So, but luckily, uh, I, I do work in voiceover. I do, um, animated projects and stuff. So those, so that's helped a lot. And, um, and we're able to keep my daughter learning with distance learning. It's, it's frustrating for everybody, but it's, you know, we're, we're grateful for what we have. And you have two kids, right? A boy and a girl. Yes. Yeah. I have a six-year-old daughter in first grade and a three-year-old son that we pulled out of preschool. Right. So what was happening in your life right around the time that, you know, COVID hit? Like, have you been in LA this whole time or, you know, did you spend the summer somewhere else? Um, yeah, we've been in LA the whole time. I was lucky enough to get to do a performance in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago for a holiday program with the U.S. Air Force Band. Um, it's, it's a great program. And I, it was the first time I traveled since the pandemic started. So I was very nervous. And, um, but the performance was awesome. I got to sing with incredible musicians. And, um, I was very far away from any humans. (laughs) It was filmed with no audience. Yeah. So that was the first time I'd really performed 
since like February. It was, it was, it was oddly emotional. You know, I wasn't expecting to be so, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm always grateful for, to get to sing with musicians like that. But, uh, but this one in particular was really, really special. I really want to know, are there any specific moments from, you know, growing up that set you on this path to becoming an actress? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember the first moment my mom, I was little, and my mom took me to a touring company uh, performance of Jekyll and Hyde, the musical, when it came through Seattle, which is where I was born and raised. And I remember being so excited and sitting in the audience at intermission going, I don't know what this feeling is, but I... I want to make other people feel like this. Like I want to be a part of this, whatever magic is happening up there, I want to be a part of it. And that's what kind of started that path, I guess, because I, I was always singing. I was always, you know, either singing at the top of my lungs or humming something or, you know, that was always, I don't know. I always knew I was going to be in the arts. I, I just didn't know how. I didn't know in what capacity. Amazing. And I think I heard somewhere or read somewhere that you trained classically at first. I did. Um, so when I started with voice lessons, my very first voice teacher, Mary Kimball, taught me, uh, she thought it was very important to be classically trained. And I completely, I, I'm so thankful that that that's the route that she took me on. I, I developed a love for classical music and opera in particular that I still really love today. That didn't turn out to be the type of lifestyle that really fit mine. Uh, so I kind of took a turn uh, somewhere along the way <laughs> for musical theater because that just kind of seemed to fit my lifestyle and how uh, how I wanted to perform and when I wanted to perform. The, the big kicker was knowing that in opera and classical music, women don't generally start working until their mid thirties, you know, which for me would have been a couple of years ago. <laughs> and that, and that, yeah, when I heard that, when I was like 16, I, that didn't sound very cool to me. I was like, no, I'd, I'd like to start working now, please. I've always like secretly wanted to be an opera star. You, of course, attended Carnegie Mellon, studying theater. And right after that, I believe you made your Broadway debut as Glinda in Wicked. If I'm right, though, you started as a standby. What was that like? Sure. I uh, Well, I was terrified. I just graduated from college. And, and really, uh, if I'm being honest, I didn't think that I belonged there. I didn't. I, I kept thinking that somebody would turn around and say, "Hey, what are you doing here?" Um, the difference between a standby and an uh, and an understudy is pretty pretty major. An understudy is in the ensemble, so you're in the show every night, and you also cover one of the lead roles um, or multiple lead roles. Sometimes a standby is not in the ensemble, so we're not on stage every night. We are backstage, literally standing by in case of, God forbid, an emergency, or we're the first ones on for vacation days and holidays and stuff like that. So when I started, I came in as a standby. I was not in the show every day. I didn't know anybody. I, you know, and my dressing room was far, far away from everybody else's, you know, so it, I, it felt a little isolating. So that on top of feeling like I didn't, I wasn't worthy of being there was a was huge and it made it terrifying. It was also the biggest thing on Broadway. I can imagine. Um, 
I'd love for you to tell me about the night that you made your Broadway debut. Like, what was that like? The first night that I went on, I had two hours notice and um, I, I ran to the theater and I sat in the dressing room and panicked and Idina Menzel came in. This is how long ago this was. And she was, I'll never forget how kind she was. She came in and said, hey, is there anything you want to talk about or go over? And I was like, Ugh. I was just panicking. And she said, hey, you know what? Let's just go out there and make the show our own tonight. She didn't even really realize what she was doing. You know, she just kind of that to her, that was just kind of second nature because I've talked to her about it since, you know, telling her how much that meant. Uh, but she she gave me permission to breathe and to play with her and not just go and do what she's used to seeing in other Glinda's yeah. like Kristen or Jennifer Laura Thompson, you know, like she gave me permission to just be there with her and figure it out with her, you know, mm -hmm. and instead of setting that level of expectation, it was it was it was remarkable. I'll never forget it. And then starting out on Broadway, you know, I imagine it was quite intense. So what was it like doing that? And were there any skills that you had to really develop or lean into as you were doing that? Stamina and thick skin. And the stamina kind of came with the with the going to a conservatory program at, at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. You know, it was an intense program and we were expected to do a lot and on very little sleep, you know, <laughs> no time to, to rehearse anything, you know, like the, so that kind of prepped me for it. But once you, once you get to New York, you realize, and even getting a Broadway show, your job is to find your next job, you know? So while it's incredibly taxing to, um, to have your whole day and then go to, sh to, to work at night, essentially the whole rest of your day is auditioning or doing readings and workshops and anything you can to guarantee that you're going to keep working after that because every job ends eventually. So that stamina is, is a big one. And then developing a thick skin, you know, it's something I'm still working on because it still hurts my feelings when I'm told no constantly, or I don't get the jobs that I really, really want you know, it's tough and it never, I mean, it does get a little easier, but it's never not hard. <laughs> Is there a memory or, you know, like a funny onstage mishap that just makes you crack up every time you think about it? I mean, yeah, the, and most of them come from Wicked. They, they, they happen all the time. Mishaps are happening every night, you know, um, but there's some, oh gosh, one of them was in Popular. And I was trying to, and at this point I'd been in the show for like three and a half years, I think. Um, so I'm trying to also keep it fresh without deviating from intention or the script or anything. And so I was trying really hard to focus on, it's when I'm trying to turn her frock into a ball gown. So I was focusing really hard on the wand and doing these deep plies in second, if you can imagine. So my yeah. legs are like spread out really wide, I'm just, you know, basically doing squats while I'm focusing. And so I was breathing out. How do I describe it? I, I essentially went, you know, but like as if you're blowing your, your hair out of your face, 
But the problem is my mic was right up at my hairline. And so as I was taking this deep plie, I blew right into the mic. So it sounded like I was passing gas, like in in a huge way as I was squatting down. And it was echoing through the theater. And Eden Espinosa was my alphabet at at that time. And she died laughing. And I did something naughty. Um, But I felt like I had to acknowledge it. And I did it in a way that I thought Glinda would. And I blamed it on her. And I said, excuse you. And that kind of stopped everything. (laughs) That's the best story ever. That's what I miss about live theater. Like these things happen and like choices are being made and all that stuff. Like it's just incredible. I feel like people have ideas about, you know, what having a Broadway job would be like. Um, And now that you've been on Broadway many times since Wicked, how do you think the industry or perhaps Broadway specifically has changed through the years? It is extremely hard work. And when, and just when you think your job is over, the show's done, you, there's a level of experience expectation to go to the stage door now. And I always used to before I, in the last show that I did, it is getting increasingly more difficult to go to the stage door, to be very frank, the amount of backhanded compliments, that's the real work is dealing with the comments after the show. Like, first of all, you're expected to go. I'm not quite sure when that started. I didn't know that that was part of the ticket price that people are paying for. It's that is a, people need to understand that that is a, a really tough thing for us to do nowadays. I, I guess I'm just being <laughs> overly honest. I just uh, that that part has gotten out of control, yeah. I think. I'm also really curious about how you pick and choose what projects to be part of these days. Like what are your guiding principles now as opposed to when you were just starting out? You know, are there any specific values that you are committed to now when it comes to either your professional life or personal life or both? Yeah, um it's it changed a lot once I have kids, once I had kids. Um now anything that I either audition for or if I'm lucky enough to be offered something the the, the major the major thing that I consider is, is this something my kids will be proud of? You know, is this something that their friends or their friends' parents see? And that is very much a part of a decision-making process for me now. Oh, that's so good. Um, is your daughter into musical theater or like performing and stuff? Because she's the oldest, right? She is. I mean, she she sings all the time and her pitch is crazy. It's we try not to make a big deal out of it because I don't want it to be like a thing. But me and my husband are always like, oh, wow. Um, but yeah, she and she's really like aware of voice talent. You know, we're always trying to tell her that those are people behind those voices, you know, whether it's a singer or in animation and stuff. She's always listening. She's got a really great ear for, for that stuff too. He wants to be a scientist or a farmer or a president. So. Well, sky's the limit as they say. Um, Hey, what do you consider your scariest moment on stage? Cause I feel like I was thinking about wicked a lot and there's got to be some dangerous elements to, you know, flying in that Glinda bubble for sure. Oh, uh, gosh, there are 
plenty. There was a time uh, during my final days in LA, I'd been there for a long time, so they were testing out new equipment on me, like how to fasten in <laughs> the bubble uh, that, that Glinda flies in and out of. And so there, there was a time when they were trying out a new clip system. There were times when I was trying out this new stuff and I would feel myself become unclipped while I was in the air and singing, you know, in the opening number, you know, um, and I would just have to try to stay calm and then calmly put my hand on part of the bubble in the back to hold on because it's moving. <laughs> I can't think, I know there's more. I just, I can't, also, I was in the building when um, when Adina fell um, really? on her last weekend. Yeah, me and Shoshana Bean uh, were the standbys, and we were upstairs rehearsing. And we we would listen to the show, and in the rehearsal studio, we'd kind of walk the show together. And um, and Shoshana was supposed to take over for her like four days after that, and she fell through a trap door and broke her ribs and they stopped the show be before the last like four minutes of the show. Um, and they stopped the show. They put Shoshana in green makeup and they dressed her up for the last four minutes of the show. And Adina went to the hospital. That was really scary to see. Absolutely. Um, but switching from actual scary moments to stage fright, um, of course, you are so incredibly accomplished and, you know, having performed in lots of different settings and in front of huge audiences and stuff. So I'm curious to know what's your relationship like with stage fright? I will say the nerves never go away, but that's a good thing. I think, uh, I think that keeps you motivated and on your toes and, and realizing that you're a work in progress. Like, You've never nailed it. <laughs> if you have, you should probably quit. Exactly. And I got to tell you, I'm someone who can get really anxious before doing things like this interview, for example, um, which I know is not really performing as such, but I know for myself, I continuously have to just keep choosing my passion over this fear and nerves and all that, even, you know, even though it terrifies me. Right. And, uh, and just kind of acknowledging that those nerves, it's your body's physical fight or flight assessment. That's it. And so if you realize you're not in danger, you're not in danger and you got to go through it. And the only way is, and the only way for me is to acknowledge that I'm nervous. You know, if I, if I pretend that I'm not nervous, it's just going to get worse. So I acknowledge that, yeah, my hand's shaking. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah, I don't know this, but I'm going to be okay. <laughs> you know, and I think our job ultimately is not singing or dancing or acting. It's harnessing our nerves and using that energy in a productive way. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And speaking about putting yourself out there, um, I'm just thinking back to your concert in London and just how much fun it was to, first of all, hear, hear your wonderful vocals, but to also hear your career stories and just little snippets into your personal life as well. So how did you develop the skill of, you know, speaking so engagingly in front of audiences? Like, do you find it easier to be yourself on stage or is it actually more difficult? So at first I found it to be terrifying. It was it was definitely a skill that I had to develop. I thought that one person shows 
we're supposed to like tell a story and you're supposed to walk away with a, some kind of knowledge that I was like, I don't have anything like that to give you. But my, uh, my manager at the time when I started doing these things was like, no, people just need to leave feeling like they know you better than when they walked in. That made sense to me. So that kind of gave me the freedom to say, oh, I don't have to do like these songs. I should do songs that I really love. Then I can talk about them in a genuine way. And by sharing these songs that move me, you know, inherently I'm kind of, I'm sharing parts of myself and it's much easier to talk about things that, that I love instead of thinking that people necessarily are expecting this or that. I always thought that the, the most important thing was to make people feel like they kind of stumbled into our living room. And so to do that, the mu it's very important that the musicians that I work with are my actual friends. Because in those shows, if there's any kind of wall, then you're not getting to know us. And you're certainly, you certainly get to know me better through the people I surround myself with. Yeah. And I keep the microphone's on for my husband and one of our best friends who's also our MD, Matt Cuson, so that they can, we can keep it light and they can make fun of me. We can, you know, keep it as natural as possible. And I definitely felt that way. I remember just sitting there and having chills. Like it just felt so natural and the energy was off the charts. And yeah, it was just such an incredible experience. It started out being something that I was terrified of and it's become one of the things I love the most to do, you know, and I'm totally in charge of them. And I'm so close with uh, my, my band that I can, in the middle of the show, I can be like, nope, no, I can feel the energy going, going south. Let's pick it up and do a different song. You know, and I, I don't even have to turn around and tell them I can just start introducing the song and they're like, oh yeah, we're with you. <laughs> I know you've said in previous interviews that you get questions about Smash every single day. So I kind of have to apologize in advance, but I just have to ask you about the show. So it's so fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so important to a lot of us theater fans. Um, and I really want to know what your favorite musical number was because there were so many incredible pieces in that show. Oh, I I mean, I think it, it has to be Let's Be Bad. That was an epic. I mean, it was so meta. There were so many different layers to it. I mean, Megan was playing Ivy, who was playing Marilyn, who's playing Sugar. You know, like there's like a lot of different things. And it's about her kind of her breaking down. And so so there the choreography was amazing. The the music was so exciting. My costume was insane, you know, like um, and the dancers I was working with were incredible. And like we we spent a whole day working on it. And I think I think we could have like easily done a whole other day. And we just had so much fun doing it. You know what? That's actually my favorite musical number from the show as well. And it was actually my alarm clock for the longest time. Oh, really? Oh wow. Yeah, yeah it was. I I just love that show. It's just it meant so much to me. And that music is still, you know, on my Spotify playlist. I listen to it weekly, if not daily. Um, but then speaking about musical like theater shows and stuff, I feel like 
slowly but surely these are coming into the mainstream um, environment. You know, like on Netflix, we have um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and things like that. And Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist is also a great show that a lot of people are loving. So do you think had like Smash come out now, I wonder if it would have had, you know, a different um, life, if that makes sense. You know what? It, yeah. And who knows? There's a million different reasons why it's not on uh, on TV now. But I just I'm so grateful that we got two magical seasons. I Now I've I, over the years, I've learned that it really is a miracle when something gets picked up, doesn't get recast continues for a second year. I mean, like, I'm I'm just grateful that I got to be a part of that amazing show for, for two whole seasons. It was epic. Oh, for sure. You know what? I used to work at NBC Universal and we had so much merch for this show that we can literally like drown ourselves in it. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. <laughs> yes. I don't think and I, I only have like a mug, I think. I don't think I have any. <laughs> yeah, I had a mug, I had a scarf. It was crazy. Oh, that's great. And of course, you've done so many incredible projects, both on stage and on screen. So was there ever a career setback that you faced, which you later realized was kind of a blessing in disguise almost? I mean, they all kind of are. Because if something falls through, it leaves you open to the next thing. Like the very first thing right after college, I was actually supposed to do a different show. And it was going to be a dream job. And I was so excited. Um, had to get an agent, you know, my first agent to um, negotiate the contracts and stuff. And be But before that was all finalized, the job fell through. I was devastated. I was still in college. I thought I had a job when I left college and then I just didn't have anything, you know, which was fine. I didn't have anything before, but like my level of expectation was so high. Like it was, it was heartbreaking because of that the casting director, I think, felt bad and then had me come back for the, back to New York for the, the Kristen Chenoweth replacement audition. And, uh, I, and I ended up going into the show for four and a half years. You know, if I had done the other thing, that wouldn't have happened. I may have been in Wicked at some other point down the road, but at the time it was really, really heartbreaking. Uh, but then looking back, I see how it made room for something that was even greater. Anytime I deal with setbacks now, and there are many, they, they just keep coming. They It's not like you hit a certain point or age or anything and and that stops. But now it's, it's a little easier to swallow because it's like, well, maybe I'm just making room for something better. I personally think you're hugely inspirational, but tell me, is there a piece of advice that really made a big impact on you throughout your career? I can't remember. I'm sure people have given me advice along the way. I think the stuff that's really impacted me is by watching the behavior of others, uh, especially the, the people that I am, two of which are Dolly Parton and, um, and Bernadette Peters. Both of them are world-class examples of of how to treat humans and uh, and do an excellent job at what whatever you're doing at the same time, you know. And and Dolly and Bernadette have a way of when they're talking to you, it feels like there's nobody else in the world that matters, you know. And that's huge for a a person with that clout and that energy. They're they're very special people, and and so by watching them conduct themselves and, uh, and how they get things done. Uh, that's where, 
that's where I, I gleaned the most. It's an, it was never somebody sitting down and say, let me tell you, you should do this. You know, <laughs> It's just watching, um, excellent behavior by people that I highly respect and admire. Yeah. And I also feel like you kind of have to go through things yourself, um, to really learn and to like, um, figure out what works for you. Because, you know, if you do just do everything that someone's told you to do, or like follow the steps that someone else has gone through and like, I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you kind of have to experience things for yourself to then be able to, you know, figure out what works for you naturally and what just doesn't. Well, also everybody has such different paths. There's no one way to do this. You know, you talk to, you line up a bunch of people that are in a Broadway show and you ask them how they got there. They're all going to have wildly different answers. That's why the only advice that I ever give when people ask me to give it is just say yes to everything and be nice to everybody. What does it hurt to be to be kind. Yes, exactly. Now, lastly, and I know your day is just starting out right now in Los Angeles, but thinking about it holistically and just in terms of starting this new year, um, I just want to ask you, what are you grateful for today? Oh, don't make me cry. Um, everything. Yeah, you're going to make me cry. Um, this pandemic, I and I, I know this is, is true for so many people, has has really forced me to take a, a hard look at um, what I am grateful for and how I show my gratitude. And I, man, there's there's so much that I just took for granted before. Um, just the simple act of, uh, seemingly simple of, you know, getting on stage and singing with musicians, like completely turned me upside down. Something that I used to do every weekend. I used to hop on a plane and go and and sing with an orchestra or sing with my band. And, and now I would give anything. I would, I'm, I was grateful for it before, but now it has a, a deeper meaning. Um, on the flip side, doing distance learning with, with my daughter, I've also gotten a front row seat to watch my daughter learn how to read, you know, and, um, and watch how her brain processes things, you know, and, and major milestones for both of my kids that I would have missed. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. You know, I'm deeply grateful for our health. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And now it's very clear that all of this stuff isn't guaranteed. I've taken this opportunity to, to really take a good look at at my life and and be grateful for every tiny little thing because might not be here tomorrow. Exactly. And I'm so grateful for you. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And for me personally, just such a dream come true. So thank you so much for talking to us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would be amazing if you could just screenshot this episode and post it to your Insta stories, because this way more people will get to know about this conversation and of course hear Megan's thoughts on the industry. Now don't forget to tag me at Goodversations and I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. I'm always just one message away on Instagram. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you again next Tuesday.